Clark Howard here. It's great to have you join us for this hour of our podcast. And I'd love it if you would leave a review how you feel about the podcast or your favorite podcasting source, whether you love the podcast, hate it, suggestions you have to make it better or what help you and help your fellow listener. My ideas, sometimes good, sometimes, well, maybe not so good. The advice I give may be right on. Other times you feel like I missed the mark. I need to know that because that's how I improve what I do because this is different than a normal talk show. This is all about us being together, helping each other. And so that's why I have a forum at Clark.com for you to do just that. It's called Clark Stinks. And you can go to Clark Stinks and post where it is you feel I gave advice that was misdirected, wrong, or just lame. And other people can read where you're trying to help me improve. And they can comment on it. They can disagree with it. They may say, hey, you know what? You think that's a problem. Let me tell you something else I heard that I didn't like and post that. And then weekly, our producer, Krista, goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and looks for highlights to share with you right here, right now. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Are you you ready to be ashamed of yourself? (laughs) I am ready to be ashamed. Furnace maintenance contract. Hey, Clark, you don't stink, but I think you were having a forgetful moment on a recent episode of the podcast. A gentleman called in asking if he should cancel his mother's $650 per year maintenance contract for her two furnaces. While I agree with your advice that having your AC furnace checked twice a year is a good idea, I think you forgot one key piece of advice that you've always taught me over the years. Shop around. Personally, I only pay $100 per year per year per unit to have two preventative maintenance visits. I'm sure if the gentleman is in the same area as his mom, he could ask around for reputable companies and ask for quotes on the same type of service. If he's not in the same area, he could search around for reputable reviews online. Even if all of the quotes come in around the same price, at least he will have the peace of mind knowing his mom isn't being ripped off. I really love the show, so please keep up the good work helping us save more and spend less. Kevin. Kevin, that was a great suggestion. You know, with service work, you hear me less talk about price comparison than you do with goods, because I find that with service, being with somebody you really trust at times will trump what you'd pay for something. But in a in the example given here, it's a really great idea, particularly if he lives in the same area to shop around to protect his mom. I won't go so far as to begin with Mr. Howard, but I let Microsoft upgrade my one and only Dell laptop to Windows 10 from Windows 7. I felt very smart after hearing your recommendation that we should allow this because if we don't, we will pay for the upgrade later. I found out the hard way that this was not the best advice, a smart move for me and a bad advice coming from you. After the upgrade, my laptop started hanging during updates and downloads. Well, a few months late after that, I started getting blue screens of death. After many months after that, I start I, I after many reboots following the blue screens, I broke down and called Microsoft technical support. Yes, the real one. I found out after paying Microsoft 
um, $149 for a 12-month customer support agreement that my hard drive had crashed. I will only be able to get the pictures and documents out of it, not applications, all likely due to Windows 10 upgrade to my laptop, which was not compatible with Windows 10. I wonder how many of us fell into this trap of upgrading followed by a harsh hard drive crash rendering the computer useless and then paying someone to reinstall Windows 7 to be able to use the marginally functioning laptop again. When you make recommendations, please research thoroughly before you do so because many of us think very highly of you and listen to you. If there are warnings, please include them along with your recommendations. Still sore from spending hours on the phone and a lot of money. I am so sorry. Yours is the first complaint. I have heard about a problem upgrading from upgrading. I don't know that you call it an upgrade <laughs> if you use Windows 10, but um, doing the update on a Microsoft laptop, a Windows laptop, and that's just a horrifically terrible story. I hope that someone who is a, uh, an expert in this area will post a follow-up to your problem that you've had with Microsoft and what a terrible thing. They charged you $150 to tell you that your laptop wasn't any good. That's absolutely why I love Chromebooks so much, because none of that obsolescence ever occurs with them. Hotel room speculation. A recent caller wanted to know how to unload a hotel reservation he was holding at a sold-out property. Clark originally misheard him thinking it was a non-refundable reservation. Turns out the caller could easily cancel the reservation, but he was looking to cash in. Upon further reflection, Clark thought this was a fabulous idea. Reserve a room during an event that is sure to sell out and then try to make a profit on the plan. This is wrong on several levels. One, it will drive up the cost for all other customers. Two, hotels will suddenly find themselves with unsold rooms right before the cancellation deadline. Three, hotels will switch over to prepaid-only reservations. And four, hotels will pro- prohibit transferring the reservations. Please don't encourage people to try and get a, to game a system that is built on mutual trust. I appreciate that post. And I was thinking about that actually after I took that call. And do you know what went into my head after I was going through that in my own mind, Krista? What? Tickets for events. Uh And how when an event is a hot event, either a cultural or sports event, how the speculators buy up the tickets and then there are none available direct. And then you have to go to one of them, also known as scalpers, Mm -hmm. to buy the tickets later. And that was something that I processed after I took that call is that I was being part of the problem, not the solution. Clark, I was listening to the podcast and heard a call from the woman who wanted to get a Chromebook for her financial transactions. Oh, this is so funny since I just talked about Chromebooks a second ago. Go ahead. She asked Clark what to do about her current PC since she had already done financial transactions on it. Clark recommended that she do a factory reset on the system. Wrong answer. I am a techie and I avoid factory resets because of the amount of work involved with getting your system back to a workable state. Even if she knows how to do a complete backup and restore, there are often programs, operating system updates, drivers, and any number of things that will need to be manually performed to arrive back to where she is. Plus, if she does a backup and restores, the financial information may come back. 
The better answer is to use the Chromebook to do what she would do anyway, change every single password and make them strong passwords. Note, the person who complained about being called a techie needs to get over it. Signed, a Georgia Tech computer science grad. Well, I was never smart enough to go to Georgia Tech, MIT, uh, Caltech, anything like that. And I'm always impressed with the people who are those kind of brainiacs. And so I really appreciate you taking time to post about this. And if you'll circle back and post about the person who had the problem going from Windows 7 to Windows 10, I'd appreciate that. (laughs) Good idea. Oh, the aroma. Normally, there's a sweet smell of savings coming from my speakers when listening to Clark. But when it comes to... I hope they're inexpensive speakers. (laughs) But when it comes to student credit cards, I smell a foul odor. While I'm not familiar with the laws regarding credit to college students, I can only tell you of my experience helping my daughter. She obtained a credit card from USAA at the age of 18. However, I think what Clark is missing is my daughter was working and going to college. This is, I believe, the difference. If your child is a college student with income, they can qualify for a credit card before the age of 21. If they apply simply as a student with no income, Clark's role, they have to wait until 21 likely applies. My daughter was not even 21 when she went away for school and was upset when I would not co-sign for an apartment. And I asked if she had them run her credit. She said she did and was able to qualify on her own. I think he needs to research what the real rules are for credit for college students and report back. Okay, so here's the story on that. It gets kind of complicated. But if someone like your daughter who is providing her own financial support, working as she is and going to school, she is perfectly eligible to qualify for a credit card at 18, student or no student. The 21 rule is about banks soliciting you for you to get credit cards. There is no specific prohibition against you getting a credit card before age 21 as a college student. And here's the irony, is that a full-time college student can be approved for a credit card with no proof of income because college students are the most profitable of all credit card customers. The reason is, is that a full-time college student, if he or she gets in over her head with the credit card, historically the banks know that the parents will pick up the bill if the student ends up over and over his or her head. So the 21 rule, the idea of that is that a student is going to be a lot more mature by his or her 21st birthday than at their 18th birthday, and that's why no solicitations before that time. And by the way, I'm giving as simple an explanation I can of a very complicated federal regulation. Are fast food workers bugs? I really felt bad for fast food workers when Clark said that not allowing them to work within the same restaurant chain and a different franchise location was like squashing a bug. By the way, I love listening to Clark and I've been a longtime listener. Take care, Patty. Patty, uh, thank you. I always use trite phrases in ways that, <laughs> that people aren't thrilled with. But the point of that is to take someone who's making somewhere around minimum wage and restrict their ability to go look for another job is something that I really resent, and states that allow covenants not to compete, I think, are absolutely missing the mark, and Massachusetts 
has suffered mightily in economic growth by having ridiculous covenants not to compete that I think now have been loosened. And to treat workers that way, to say if you're working at this fast food restaurant location and one across town or across the country, if you move, has a better pay rate, you're not allowed to go work for them, even if you move somewhere else in the country, is insane. Sorry, I used a, a phrase, squash like a bug. And is that the wrong way to use Well, now that you call them insane. Something. It, <laughs> I don't think there'll be a No, I call the employers insane, time. not yes, our I poster. know, but still. Okay. Okay. I was surprised to hear Clark suggest that a caller pay for a subscription to Ancestry.com to research her family history. Why pay when there are free alternatives? The site FamilySearch.org offers a great deal of information and tools for free. Furthermore, many public libraries offer free access to Ancestry.com along with other genealogy resources. Ancestry.com does offer a free two-week trial, but this automatically converts to a recurring payment of at least $20 up to $45 a month unless you cancel. Jeff. Jeff, thank you. And when I was talking about 23andMe and Ancestry.com on TV and then, as I mentioned briefly, on the radio as well, I was talking about taking the DNA testing. And so that allowed for a real readout on my genetic background. And in the case of 23andMe, identified areas where I might be vulnerable to illness based on my genetic markers. And there are people who would rather not have that kind of information. But as far as researching my family I've never taken advantage of that. I never subscribed to that. I was only interested in in my um, what makes me up, what percent I'm this and that and the other, and then, of course, with the 23andMe, my medical vulnerabilities. Odiferous? Not quite. But each time I hear Clark telling someone who has the money available to pay off their mortgage rather than use it for some other investment option, I think he misses an easy trick he could share. Most mortgage companies and banks have an end-of-the-mortgage process that kicks in when the last payment is made and requires no special timing or extra effort. Just make a principal payment that almost pays off the mortgage, and then when the next regular payment occurs, the process will kick in. No extra paperwork, timing, or effort will be required. I appreciate that, and uh, that has come up before, and my understanding is that varies by state what you would have to do or not do at the time your mortgage is satisfied. And the junk fees that banks charge for a payoff letter is an absolute insult to people when you consider you've been paying the bank this huge payment every month, month after month for years. And so paying just short of the total sum due and then uh, having the bank do it without you having to pay the following month I guess it's fine. I just, I I have been willing to pay for that payoff letter in the past, even though I do think it's flat out wrong. And I want to tell you, I appreciate all your posts. The thing I think about is that every edition of Clark Stinks is so different than the ones that came before. So... There's always something. You're always finding more ways to stink. Exactly. (laughs) And if you find them stinking, please go to Clark.com and post away so that I can learn ways to serve you better. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. 
John, you want to talk about all the foolishness with all the credit card fraud going on across the country. Yes, Clark, I enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, the thing is, sometimes I do transactions uh, over the phone with my credit card, and sometimes they ask me for a three-digit security code on the back. Uh, wondering, should I give that out or, or shouldn't I? So you won't be able to do the transaction if you don't give out the three-digit code. The Visa MasterCard cartel, American Express, I think Discover does as well. American Express, it's a four-digit code. This code is designed so that if criminals have been able in the physical world to intercept somebody's credit card number, the hope is that they won't also have the three- or four-digit secret code. And so it is a layer of protection for phone transactions and online purchases that reduces, in theory, the amount of credit card fraud that's taking place. Okay. So that's why that number exists, is as an additional layer. But the reality is, particularly for online shopping, where I expect us to be in the next year or so, is it'll be common that we'll be able to have a little attachment to our our tele, our cell phones telephones listen to me our cell phones or our laptops where we'll be able to have our card chip read when we're shopping online or even over the phone and that will be a much safer process because it would be a one-time use code transmitted like there is now at physical retailers or supermarkets or whatever when they read the chip in your card because the online and phone ordering systems are way too vulnerable to fraud but that's the whole reason there's that code i see so so it's not uncommon for someone to ask that it's okay to give it out when they do absolutely if you're dealing with somebody over the phone okay okay Clark. thank you very much sure And the whole thing with the credit card payment system is so ridiculous that we are supposedly the most advanced country in the world, and we are the most antiquated in how we do online payments, in-store payments, and over-the-phone payments compared to virtually every other country on Earth. And it's because our banks are too piggy to spend the money to have a secure system. It's my pleasure that you have taken time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Clarkdeals.com is where you get all the bargains. And there is a pattern, I can only refer to this anecdotally, but it seems that I'm being asked more often right now when I'm out and about about cell phone services cell phone plans and cell phones than any other individual question i was talking with a couple that was unhappy with what they were paying per month for their cell phone service and we were going through all the possibilities for them we were talking about what they pay per month and all that and it gets to where your eyes can glaze over pretty quickly. But if you're trying to decide between one phone and another, either comparing one 
iPhone to another, one Android to another, or an iPhone to an Android, Google has a new tool you can use that all you do is when you go to do a Google search, you put in something like um, iPhone 8 or 8 Plus, let's say, whatever you want to do, VS for versus whatever other phone you want to compare it to. So let's say you're trying to decide between an iPhone 8 and an iPhone 8 Plus. We can just put that in and it'll put up a comparison chart showing both of them, the price points, the main features and all that. Very easy to digest chart. A lot of people who don't want to pay for an X are thinking, is an 8 worth it? So my daughters tell me, no, just stick with the 7. But if that's not enough information for you, put them next to each other and compare because the 7 is really the deal right now for people in the iPhone world. And when you're looking at the Androids, know that there are so many that are going to be marketed over the next six weeks is all of them have done their product launches announcements either in Spain earlier this year when the all the cell phone operators around the world get together each year or through the fall so that they're available through the Christmas shopping season. A number of models are being introduced next week for sale. They were already trotted out at the big shows the cell phone carriers go to but now they'll actually be available for purchase next week. And it gets confusing when you're trying to decide, do I want to go Samsung, this Android world, Samsung, LG, Huawei, ZTE, um, Motorola. Those are, I think, the five bigs of Androids. Did I miss anybody? Anyway, I don't think I did. Anyway, so you're able to compare which would make the most sense for you. You can see easily the screen size, the memory capacity, and all that for whatever one you're considering. Now, if you are hankering after an iPhone X, know that there was a very negative report about the X from, I think it was from Square Trade, about how fragile it is. And Apple is charging basically an arm, a leg, and a foot to repair one. So you're already going to have to spend about $1,100 for the X, and then a simple repair will be just under $300. And that's for the screen. You have any other repair, it's going to be $550. What's ironic about that is some of the best Androids cost less than that to buy the whole phone. So you got to really be some way you doesn't mind spending real money so against my better judgment but based on multiple tech recommendations i can't believe these words are going to come out of my mouth the iphone x is proving to be so fragile that if you buy one of those you should consider i can't even get the words out buying an apple care plan for it or buying a third-party plan like Square Trade. Okay, there I said it. 
There's like no circumstance I ever would tell you to buy any kind of protection for any electronics item, and I just broke my rule. So Apple, you should have made the phone more durable so I wouldn't have to betray my principles about people spending money. And that phone better make perfectly toasted toast and cook for you and make you healthier to spend four digits on a cell phone. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Good, thank you. So you are interested in being safe at your home? Yes, sir. How are you thinking of doing that? Well, I already have an alarm system, but I thought, I don't know if it'll make it any safer, but you see these things on TV shows about uh, how they take videos of of um, burglars who've broken in. Yeah. And I want to be able to record and <laughs> so I can perhaps give it to the police for helping for identification. Sure. And, and um, I don't necessarily want to buy a monitoring service. I just want to have something that I can store videos in that will give first in, first out, or if I, ha- if I you know, pull it up. Okay, now that's a great question because, you know, a lot of the business model of the Nest cameras yes. is that you end up having to pay them for cloud storage to yeah, store the video that. you have on your camera. Right. No, I there, don't want that. I want a box. I can hide it somewhere in my house. I want it wireless. Yeah, there's so now several of them. Everywhere. There's now several of them that you can put in an SD card. And, you know, SD cards are so cheap now. Yeah. And you can monitor with the SD card. And you buy big capacity, it'll give you a lot of hours of right. footage that you'll be able to check. And I do that wirelessly, like through a computer, or what? Yeah, you take the SD card out. If there's been an incident in your home, right? and you're worried that, that there was a problem, and you want to be able to identify the problem, the individual is the problem, or individuals, you pop yeah. the SD card out of that camera, and put it in your laptop, and then you're able to watch it. Okay. And that is the most common way that people do this. And one of the cameras that works that way are the various Samsung cameras. It's a Samsung, okay. Yeah, and so you have these wireless cameras you're able to monitor. Um, The Arlo's are also very popular have you seen the arlos from netgear no i haven't i i did a little research online but i didn't once again as far as manufacturers i I didn't really know which way to go (laughs) well there um i'll tell you who's a big seller of the samsung's is sam's club yeah okay if you're a sam's club member you can go look at them there Um, i am great and the arlo's are very widely distributed. Okay. And you can can see see with the Arlo's, if you are a residential customer, 
There is the free ability for you to monitor. If you are a commercial customer, you have to pay a monthly subscription. Yeah, I, that's what I want to kind of stay away from because I'm hoping that the alarm system deters people enough, but you never know. And, and you will I, see, I, I when you get to the stores, you'll yeah. see a lot of um, models that are brand names you're not familiar with. Yes. But are very inexpensive. I don't have any problem with you trying one of those. And if you're happy with the results, good. And do you have one of the camera doorbells yet? Uh, no, I, that was something else I was uh, interested in. Well, the old model of the Ring, we have a link for you on Clark Deals where you can get the old one for under $100. And people are very happy with that. And that would be a way for you to monitor what's going on when somebody rings that doorbell and you see it on your phone, wherever you are at work, around town. You can even be on a trip out of town and you can see who's at your door and talk to them right through your phone. Jackie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jackie. Hi. How you doing? Oh, not too bad. How are you? Good, good. You have a question for me that's got you concerned. Tell me. Uh, yes, I recently renewed my driver's license. I live in, in Arizona. And my license now says across it, not for federal identification. Oh, I forget if it's, is it eight states, I think, that are not compliant? I have no idea. I have no idea. It says not for federal identification, right. and that's about it. There's yeah, so what that it. means is Arizona refused to comply with the September 11th rules that have been delayed again and again. And my understanding is they're going into effect at the beginning of the new year, January 1st. And what that means is for residents of the states that refuse to comply with the identification rules called Real ID, is that you have to travel with a U.S. passport card a global entry card, or a, a uh, actual physical passport in order to be allowed to travel, or a military ID. So how do I get a passport card? What's the difference between a passport card? Passport card is often used by people who live in border states adjacent to Canada or Mexico, and you're in one that borders Mexico. So a lot of people in Arizona have a passport card. It's like a driver's license, and it allows you to travel across the border by surface to Canada or Mexico, and it's an accompaniment to a passport. Because carrying a passport, if you fly frequently, is a pain if you're going domestic. And so people will be getting, in the affected states that didn't comply with Real ID, uh, they're going to be doing a lot of purchasing of these passport cards. So is the passport card going to allow me to go from state to state, not necessarily out of the country? It'll allow you to go out of the... It's just an accompaniment to a passport. So you use your passport if you're flying on a trip somewhere overseas. But if you were driving to the Mexican border down to Nogales or something, you you would instead cross the border with the passport card. And tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to put a full briefing up about the new rules that are going into effect. There's debate about when the feds are not going to let you fly anymore with them. 
and I'll give a full update at Clark.com as soon as I possibly can. Vicki's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Vicki. How are you doing? Doing well, Clark. Thank you. I hope you are, too. Wonderful. And I need to purchase a new car or a car, and I've heard you talk about the better value being a used car rather than a new car off the lot, but I'm interested in a Prius Prime with a tax credit, so I'm trying to weigh the two choices. Right. So with the Prius Prime, which is something that a lot of people aren't that familiar with, it's a what's known as a plug-in hybrid, that it operates is an electric-only vehicle the first 20-something miles a day, and then after that becomes like a regular hybrid and gets like 55 miles a gallon. Yes. So with it, it doesn't get the full $7,500 federal tax credit. I think it only gets 4500 Does that sound right? Yes. Yes, it does. All right. And the Prius Prime costs typically street price around thirty one to $33,000. Yes. So you take the tax credit out of it. Uh, do you live in a state that has a state tax credit as well? No. No, I don't. Okay. So you'd be looking at, let's say, uh, 26.5 to 28.5 net, probably. Yes. So, so buying that car new, because of the enormous reliability record of the Prius and Toyota, to me, would be a fine decision. All right. The case where I've been telling people that they should specifically look at used has been very heavily tilted towards all electric, like a Nissan Leaf or a Chevy Volt, that those have have a use value that's a tiny fraction of of what they are new and mm-hmm. a lot of leafs you can buy now for seven eight nine thousand dollars without that many miles on them or that much age so in that case hey. forget the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit it's such a value to buy those used instead of new in the case of the prius prime the new version of the prius prime is has a much better range and is getting much better reviews than the prior version of the Prius Prime. So you'd be getting a car that is not as robust, as capable, if you were to get one used, versus getting this new version of the Prius Prime. I see. Okay. Does that Very help? helpful. Yes, All right. it does. Thank you, Clark. All right. You enjoy driving that thing. You know, most people with a Prius Prime buy maybe a tank of of gasoline every six weeks. It's pretty good. Joel, I think we have time to sneak in and ask Clark here. Let's do a Clark. Steven wrote in, he says, I keep hearing about online banks like Ally uh, and amongst many others. How safe are these banks? Depends how much money you got. If you've got under $250,000, having more than that's a good problem. But if you have under 250, you are completely, totally safe doing an online bank account. The rates are going up right now with the online bank accounts. The highest ones now have crested 1.5% for FDIC-insured savings accounts, and those rates will continue to rise. 
want you to compare that 1.50% to what the four giant monster mega banks are paying for savings, which is one one hundredth of 1%. If you have any money in savings with Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, or Citibank, you're crazy. Move your savings, link it to one of the online savings accounts. You can see a full list if you go to bankrate.com and click on savings rates, and you'll see all the institutions paying from 1.3 to 1.5%. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, we got our deal diggers hard at work at clarkdeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet, and they're on a variety of consumer items. Check out clarkdeals.com.